Hey, I'm glad that you're here today, and I'm glad to have my Bible here today. Um, just a few minutes ago, we recognized that I didn't have my Bible, and I didn't have my notes, and you know, I go from here and there and everywhere, different services and everything, it's like, where is it? <laughs> so I had a group of guys out running just a few minutes ago, and I thought, man, this is going to be a short sermon. So good news is I've got my Bible Bad news is, it's not going to be a short sermon. You know, some of the messages that I preach, I've thought oftentimes that some of the messages that I preach don't always hit everybody the same way. Uh, for, for instance, if I'm preaching on marriage and you're single, uh, you probably are not very tuned in to that particular message. Or if I'm preaching on dying and you're 15, you probably don't see the need for that message for another 50 or 60 years. Uh, but, but today's message is going to be for every person in the room. Every one of us, without exception. Regardless of your age, today's message is for you. Regardless of your beliefs, today's message is for you. You might be a, an atheist or an agnostic or you might be a Christian. And regardless of what your faith system is or isn't, this message is for you. The message we're going to be looking at today or the passage we're going to look at, look at today talks about us, every one of us, without exception. This passage is often referred to as one of the, one of the most important chapters in the New Testament, but it, it, is, it is also one of the most difficult chapters in the New Testament. In fact, some people believe that the chapter we're going to be reading today is what Peter had in mind when in 2 Peter 3.16. Peter wrote these words. He said, Paul has some writings that are really hard to understand. Some people believe this is the chapter Peter had in mind when he said Paul writes some things that are really hard to understand. And so the difficulty that I've had this week as I've studied this text is that trying to define what, what are we going to talk about and what are we not going to talk about. Because it's so easy when we read the text, you'll see it in just a moment, the main idea of the text is fairly clear. The, the big idea, the main idea of the text is, is pretty clear. But as we read through this text, you're going to see sentences and you're going to see phrases that are going to make you say, well, wait a minute, what does that mean? Or, or wait a minute, what, what did he mean by that? And so you're going to have all kinds of rabbit trails you can run down if you want to, but it's, it's just going to be hard if you do that. So I've kind of said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to stay with the big trail and we're going to look at the big message and then... If you want to run down the rabbit trails this week in your own study, that would be good. So, with all that said, most important, one of the most important chapters in the Bible, one of the hardest chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter 5. Would you open God's Word to Romans chapter 5? <clears throat> now, we're going to be going into some deep waters today, so I encourage you to get your notebooks out, write down some of this stuff so that you can review it later, think about it later, dig into it later. The essential question we're going to be looking at today is this one. How is it possible for God to save sinners through Jesus Christ? How is it possible that God can save sinners through Jesus Christ? Now, we understand if, if you go to church, if you've been in church, if you were raised in church, we understand that somehow Jesus took our place on the cross. We get that. But the question we're going to be looking at today is deeper than that. The question we're looking at today is, how is that substitution even possible? Paul answers the question in our text. I want to begin reading in verse 12. And as I read, I want you to look for a phrase, the phrase, one man. It will be applied to two different people. 
But listen for the phrase, one man, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. We'll talk about that in a moment, but that's underlined in my preaching Bible. It's underlined in my study Bible. The gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought what, church? Justification. For if the trespass of the one man, death, reign through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was the condemnation of all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life. For all men, for just as through the, the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. I could summarize the entire sermon with that last verse. Look at it again. Verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would help us to understand the power of one man. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's two things from this text I want to dig out. and Again, just staying with the big idea of the text, there's two things I want you to understand today. The first one is this. Sin and death entered the world through Adam. He tells us that in verses 12 through 14, but look especially in verse 12. Get your pen ready. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. Underline, sin entered the world through one man. Not only did sin enter the world, but the Bible goes on to say in that verse, death also entered the world through the sin of that one man. Now, death here refers to the loss of immortality. Adam and Eve had immortality. They would have lived forever except through their sin. God said, in the day that you sin, you will surely die. He was talking about physical death as well as spiritual death or eternal separation from God. Now, here's the shocking statement in the, in the text, if you'll track with me. It says, and in this way, death came to all people because all Sinned. The Bible seems to be indicating here that something happened in Adam. That when Adam sinned, it wasn't just Adam's sin. That when Adam disobeyed God, we all disobeyed God. Nobody is excluded, and there are no exceptions. So how did this sin, this death, get to spread through all of humanity? Paul simply says it this way, very simply. Paul says, it was through one man. Verse 12. 
one man. And of course, that one man is Adam. In the Garden of Eden, God told Adam not to eat the forbidden fruit. And he did say in Genesis 2.17, he warned him, the day you eat this fruit, the day you disobey me, the day you break this command, death will be the result. Adam, of course, broke that specific clear command. And as a result, sin and death entered the world. And here's the, the disturbing part of this story. When Adam sinned, the Bible teaches that in essence... We all sinned. God appointed Adam as the representative head of the human race. And because of Adam's sin, each of us is now born with that same sinful nature that Adam took on. You see, whenever Adam had his first son, the Bible says that he, in essence, gave to that first son his sinful nature. I'll show you that in the text in a moment. And then his son gave to his children that sinful nature, and it's spread through all of humanity. This, this poison of sin, this fallen nature has been spread from generation to generation. We don't have time to look at the text, but let me tell you about it. Genesis 1.27 is where God makes clear that Adam was created in the image of God. Adam was created in the image of God. But it says that after the fall, the fall was in Genesis 3, and the Bible says in Genesis 5 that when Adam had a son... The Bible says it this way. It says that he had a son, quote, in his own likeness. And then it says, in his own image. And then after you read about Adam having his first son and created in his image rather than in God's image, that is created with a human nature, a fallen nature, a sinful nature, the Bible says after that, and Seth lived so many years and then he died. And then so-and-so was born and then he died. And then so-and-so was born, and he died, and he died, and he died. The entire rest of chapter 5 is emphasizing, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Because this sinful nature, this sinful nature that we, was passed on from Adam to us, and death is the result. You see, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Paul proves that point beginning in verse 13 and 14. Now again, we're about to get into the deep water, so listen carefully. For before the law was given, Paul's trying to prove his point in verse 13 and 14. The, the point he made in verse 12, he, he's going to illustrate it in verse 13 and 14. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. Before God ever gave the law, before God ever said, Thou shalt not, sin was already in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. So Paul, Paul is simply making this point. He said, all right, let, let's think about it in these terms. Paul said, you've got Adam. He sinned. He's experiencing the, the consequences of his sin, sin and death. Paul says, so, so let me ask you a question. All the people from Adam to Moses... Because Adam, he, he deliberately broke a command of God. He clearly broke a command of God. But everybody from Adam to Moses, they didn't have a command. God had not written any commandments yet. The commandments were written, the law was written with Moses. It was given by Moses. So Paul is saying, so let, let's ask this question. Why is it that Adam died because of his sin, but everybody else died also without any commandments to break? 
Why is it that the people from Adam to Moses died when there was no commandments? Paul was giving this illustration to say, here's the reason. Because that sinful nature was passed from generation to generation to to generation. There is something twisted in us. There's something broken in us. There's something wrong in us. We all have this sinful nature. They, watch this, these people from Adam to Moses, they didn't necessarily die for their own individual sins. They died because of the sin of Adam. You say, are you sure about that? Look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men. Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men. Now certainly the people from, 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 that lived in this time, they had that sinful nature, but, but part of the reason that, that they died was because of Adam's sin. He's the one that started it all. So if you're like me, this is the point where we step back and say, wait a minute, that's not fair. I wasn't there. I didn't eat the fruit. I shouldn't be held responsible for it. That, I, I, that's not fair. But let me tell you something. When you get to be God, you can do it the way you want to. Right? Let me tell you something else. We see this all the time in life, that one person represents a group of people. We see this all over in life. I mean, let's talk about football for a minute. We got any football fans here today? All right, let let me just give you this heads up that the football season starts in about two months. About two months, we're going to have college football, we're going to have NFL football, we're going to have high school football. And all God's people said, They didn't say that in the first service. I'm glad you guys are into it. <laughs> all right. So let me think, let's think about for a moment in football. You got all these big old, deep, all these big old offensive linemen, and, they're, and they know what the, this is one of my pet peeves. They know what the count is. On three, ready to break, on three. Down, said, hut, and the guy moves. It's like, Dude, we told you it was on three. Why are you moving? So it's called a false start. Five-yard penalty. Ball start, five-yard penalty. Now, here's the question. Does that one lineman move back five yards? Oh, the whole team is penalized, aren't they? Now, wait a minute. Ten of them did it right. Ten of them stayed where they were supposed to stay. Ten of them knew it was on three, but there was one of them. He was in la-la land, and he jumped. That's not fair that one messes up and the whole team is punished. No, that's life. My, my son used to run track at, at Anderson University. He told me this story. That he said that they, they had uh, weightlifting at 6 o'clock in the morning. Great time to go do weightlifting. Six, I think they did it three days a week, I believe it was. 6 o'clock in the morning, weightlifting. And the coach had a rule. We lift weights at 6 o'clock. If you are here at 6.01, you're late. If you're late, the entire team will do a punishment workout on Thursday morning at 6 o'clock. Jonathan set several alarms to make sure that he never was late. But one day, there was a guy who was late. 
In fact, he didn't even show up. He just overslept. So they said, okay, Thursday, 6 o'clock, punishment workout. Guess what? They got there Thursday, 6 o'clock. The guy didn't show up. He overslept again. So the coach said, okay, tomorrow, 6 o'clock, another. You're going to do this one, and then tomorrow you're going to do another one at 6 o'clock. Jonathan said, he said, that evening we got that guy. We stayed with him during supper. We stayed with him during everything he did that evening. We went to the, to the room with him. We, we, somebody was appointed to get him up and to bring him to the next workout. You say, it's just not fair. One person messes up and the entire team has to do a punishment workout. Listen, it's been that way since Adam and Eve. One person messed up, Adam. And we all experience the punishment of it. Every one of us. Now, I would agree with you that that may not be fair if it all ended at verse 14. If all we had was verse 14, I would agree with you that's not fair. But thank God there's a verse 15. See, look what verse 15 says. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? I love that. You know what he's saying here? He's saying God's provided a remedy for our sin problem. God has provided a way to reverse the devastating effects of Adam's sin. God has provided a remedy. Does anybody, are you thankful God's provided a remedy? Because I want you to know something. You had no choice about Adam's sin. It was passed down to you. You were born with it. You don't even have the possibility of not sinning because you were born with this sin nature. It is impossible for you to live a sinless life because of this sin nature that Adam handed to you. But listen to me, there is a remedy that reverses what Adam handed to you. That's what we want to look at next. Number two, if you're taking notes, grace and the gift of salvation are offered through Jesus. See, this whole text is a comparison and a contrast between Adam and Jesus. In fact, we don't have time to look at it, but 1 Corinthians 15.45 refers to Jesus as the second Adam. Interesting name that was given to him, the the second Adam. And the reason, look at verse 14. The end of verse 14 says, As did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Adam was a pattern. Adam was pointing to another Adam that would come, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are ruined by the sin of Adam, but we are rescued by the sacrifice of Christ. I want you to look for the word gift as we read in verse 15 through 17. Look for the word gift and see how many times you see it. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift... Is uh, the gift of God is, is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift, there's the word, followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if the trespasses of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? 
Paul is showing us that what we lost in Adam, we can regain in Jesus and even more. And Paul says, and I want you to understand something, it is a gift. A gift. A gift. He said it over and over and over. It's a gift. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can get good enough for. It's not something you can somehow work out. Paul says it's a gift that he wants to give you. And what he wants to give you is overflowing. He uses the word overflowing in verse 15. Verse 17, he talks about God's abundant provision. Here's what he's wanting to say. Everybody look up here at your pastor. Here's what he's saying to you. The the gift of Christ is always greater than your sin. The gift of Christ is always, always greater than your sin. I I don't know, how, how much sin have you piled up in your lifetime? Bunch, right? I mean, here, here's the way it works. We have the foundation of Adam's sin. We start with that. We're born with that. we got the foundation of Adam's sin. But I don't know about you, but I've been piling up on that foundation beyond what Adam gave me. I bet you have too. been piling it up, piling it up, piling it up over the years. I, I don't know how big that pile is, but I do know this. God's grace is more abundant than your sin. If your guilt is great, God's free gift of abounding grace is even greater. Corey Ten Boom said, There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. You simply cannot out the grace of God. So, Pastor, are you saying we just got a license to sin? No, that's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm just wanting you to understand something. No matter how deep in sin you are, the grace of God is greater than your sin. Look in verse 20, I'll show you what it says. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. That is, the reason God gave you the law is so that you could understand how much you've disobeyed God, so that you could understand how deep into sin you really are. The law was given so that you could understand you are a sinner. You'd understand your trespasses. But look what it says. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Praise the Lord. No matter how many sins are on your record, there's freedom in Christ. And there's forgiveness for all of them. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. It's estimated that today, on planet Earth today, there are 7.6 billion people living today on planet Earth. And that's not counting the billions of people who have lived here before us. And when God looks at all of those people, now listen, don't, don't miss this. When God looks at the 7.6 billion people who are alive on planet earth and the billions of people who lived here before us, he only sees two people. He sees Adam and he sees Jesus. And he asks you, which one are you in? Are you in Adam or are you in Jesus? And there's not a third option. There's not a third group. Everybody stands in one of those two categories. Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, and that sin nature has been passed down to all of us. We all start out in the camp of Adam. Every one of us, without exception. Regardless of how young or how beautiful or how innocent your child looks like, I'm going to be talking about that next week. We all start out in the sin category with Adam. All of us do. Some of us have stepped out of the family of Adam and into the family of Jesus. 
The Bible says the way we step from that family to this family is by God's grace. Receiving God's gift. You see, there's no way you can work your way out of Adam. There's no way you can work your way out of the mess that you're in. There's absolutely no way you can deal with the sin that's been handed to you, the sin nature of Adam. You can't change the sin nature of Adam, and plus you've piled your own sins on top of that. The only way to deal with the sin that you've experienced is your faith in Jesus Christ. And watch, watch what happens when you do. Watch this. This is so good. Once you were as guilty as Adam was. And now, when you place your faith in Christ, now you are as righteous as Jesus is. Because it's not about you. It's not about your righteousness. It's about His righteousness. You see, He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave for your justification. And the Bible says, when you receive that gift, when you recognize, I am a sinner, and that's all I'm ever going to be unless God does something. And when you, by faith, step out of that sin, and by faith, trust Christ as your Savior, the Bible says, at that moment, Jesus said, you are born again. You were born into sin, but when you trust Christ, you are born again into righteousness. Julia Johnson wrote this hymn years ago, I think captures what we've been trying to say today. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. See, here's what I've come to tell you today. We are all ruined by sin, but we can be rescued by Christ. Every one of us. We're all ruined by sin, but we can be rescued by Christ. Look at the verse 20 and 21, and I'll close. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, that you might have a better awareness of your sin. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through, the, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at that last phrase. Grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whatever is true of Jesus, once you've stepped into a relationship with Him, whatever is true of Jesus is true of you. His righteousness. His goodness. So, I've come to ask you a question today. The question is this. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Again, you can't help starting in Adam. We all start here. But watch this, you don't have to stay here. We all start here. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We all start in Adam. But we don't have to stay there. We can by faith say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. 
but I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you died in my place, you, and you want to give me the gift of forgiveness. By your grace, I receive what you want to give me. I believe, Lord Jesus, you can reverse what Adam took. You can take it away, you can change it, and you can give me righteousness. You see, your first birth puts you in Adam, but your second birth puts you in Jesus. Have you ever been born again? Have you ever passed, the Bible calls it passing from death to life? I'm going to ask you today to come to Jesus Christ that way. And I want you to listen to me carefully. It's the smartest thing you'll ever do. Smartest thing you'll ever do is when you decide, you know what? I need Jesus and I want Jesus. Grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Sin ruined you. Jesus will rescue you. Let's pray about that. Just a moment. I'm going to have the invitation and I'm going to ask you to come to this place. And receive Christ as your Savior. Right here. Right here today. You can come right here and say, Keith, I want, I want what you talked about. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need grace. I know that I need Jesus. You come today. Would you trust Christ as your Savior? Father, in the name of Jesus, for your glory, would you speak in a way that is undeniable? Would you speak in a way, Lord, that would be so clear that we know that we're responding to your voice and to your call? Thank you that we can step out of the sin of Adam and step into the righteousness of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.